What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and on today's show, I will be flying solo. Curtis had a date, and uh, for some reason, thought that was more important than coming on the show with me tonight. I don't know what he's thinking, but that's where his head was. So on today's show, I'll be taking you guys through everything, and I'll be recapping Saturday night's... Oh, God, it was a meltdown. There's no other way to say it. It was a meltdown on the road at Auburn. Uh, It was beautiful. It really was that first half, and then it was real ugly real fast. Uh, I will also kind of be getting into what we need to do in order to kind of get things going on the hardwood and actually, possibly, I don't know, maybe make a realistic run to the tournament, which is clearly not likely at this point. Don't get me wrong. Certainly not a likelihood at this point. But it's also still very much within our grasp. It's there for the taking. We've just got to actually go take it. Now, whether we will or not, obviously remains to be seen. But if you look at our metrics, we're still there with a chance to potentially make a run of sorts here and try to sneak in the tournament there uh, at the very end and kind of get off the bubble a little bit. But first, before we get into all that stuff, I do just want to throw a couple quick reminders out at everyone today. You guys can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UJ. Had a lot of conversation going on about the basketball game that that lost at Auburn, the meltdown over the past day or so. A lot of people uh, got a lot of varying perspectives. Uh, Not everyone agrees with me with what I'm saying, which is totally cool. It's it's all good as long as you are respectful about it. We absolutely 100% appreciate any thoughts because, you know, clearly we do not always have it right and we don't know everything. Just uh, we just have far away of seeing things and. Everyone out there has your way. So let us know what you guys think. Love to hear that. Again, that's at glory underscore UGA if you're not following us. You can also find the show on a bunch of different platforms out there. Obviously, the first place to look is uh, dogsportsradio.com where we got started a couple years back. You can also download the Dog Sports Radio app straight to your smartphone. Make it a little easier for you guys to access. And then uh, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud as well if that's easier for you guys to work with. The Stitcher and TuneIn apps, you can also find us there. Uh, we really sincerely appreciate everyone who takes the time to uh, rate and review the show on whatever preferred platform you find you decide to listen to us on. If you haven't done so, it would really be great. Just kind of hop on there real quick. Give us a rating and review. A few words. Kind of let us know what you guys think about the show. Really will help us as we continue to try to grow the show and bring you guys all the content that we hope and think you possibly at least sometimes enjoy. Uh, so that would be great. But all right, let's go ahead and get into this game. I, I really don't want to relive this because, I mean, it was it was pretty terrible. But that's what we do here on the show. We relive the good stuff and the terrible stuff. So let's start with the first act. At least that was good. That was that was pretty beautiful. I mean, that's what I said in the intro. It was. It was flat out beautiful uh, in that first half. We played defense exactly like we have all year. We held them to 25% shooting from the field. We got their second leading scorer, Mustafa Hare, in an early foul trouble. He only played six minutes in the first half and had zero points in those six minutes. Bryce Brown, one of the leading scorers in the SEC, uh, and they're definitely their leading scorer. We held him to three points. So we held their, their two leading scorers to three combined points in the first half, and that really wasn't altogether surprising because we play good defense. Now, there, there's some guys who have gone off, some individual guys who have gone off on us at points this year, but generally speaking, we play good defense. We're a top 10 defense. We get in guys' face. We can test shots. Uh, we communicate well out there in the court. Uh, and offensively, we were playing out of our minds. Now, of course, that's relatively speaking compared to what we normally do on the offensive end of the court. Uh, but, I mean, just some numbers kind of put that into context for you guys. We, we shot 56% from the field in the first half. That's ungodly, really, for anyone. But for, for us, I mean, we're a team that shoots 43% on the year. Uh, we went over some of the numbers uh, last week. You know, 351 teams. 
in, in uh, Division One college basketball, we were 337th in total field goals made, 247th in field goal percentage, 329th in, in three-point field goals made, 300th in three-point percentage. Uh, so really terrible numbers in the 300s in most of those categories there. But somehow, at least for a half, for 20 minutes, we found a way to shoot 56% from the field. Uh, we also outscored Auburn, not surprisingly, considering we got Yante Maiton on the team. Outscored them 14-4 to in the paint, which is where, I mean, if, if, if things are going well for us, that's probably where we're going to make our living offensively. And we had a pretty significant size advantage on the interior there, so it's smart to exploit that. I'll give Mark Fox credit, and, and the guys out there on the court give him credit for, for recognizing that and, and exploiting that. And then we had Jawan Parker. Uh, Jawan Parker dropped 13 points uh, in the first half. He really was, showed signs of becoming that complement to Yante that we've been looking for all year. Uh, I mean, overall, we were efficient. We were hitting jumpers. Go figure. We were hitting jump shots. Wow. Amazing what could happen when you hit a few of those. We weren't turning the ball over at an astronomical rate. I think we had what, six or seven turnovers in the first half, which is not good. Uh, but, I mean, we, if you look, if you watch this play all this year and see some of the issues we've had turning the ball over, that's, I mean, that's manageable for us, to be honest. Not great, but manageable. But really, uh, it was everything. That first half offensively was everything that I was hoping that we would see all season. Really? In my opinion, and I, I am one of those guys that have, I've watched every dribble of every game this season. Uh, so in, in my humble opinion, that was the best, most complete half of basketball I have seen us play all year. We played really well defensively all year. We've gone over that. But the offensive part of the equation just hasn't been there. So I do believe that was the most complete half of basketball I have seen us play all year. And honestly, that was probably as good as we could have played offensively. I mean, that was probably the ceiling for this basketball team on the offensive in the court. I, it really, it, it has to be based on what we've seen to this point. But unfortunately, uh, basketball, it, it's a two-half sport, these college basketball. So one half is great, but it'd be nice to keep it up for a full game. Uh, I really didn't think, I didn't expect that we would keep up that level of place, especially offensively. Throughout the entire game, I didn't wasn't insane. Didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think we were going to shoot fifty six percent from the field for the entire game. But I also thought that our defense was good enough uh, when we had a fourteen point lead at halftime to keep the lead and kind of sneak out of there with the win. But clearly, uh, as we all saw, I am an idiot and I could not have been more wrong because the second half happened. Uh, we all saw what went down there. This is the part that I don't want to relive. But here we go. I guess. Uh, and the second half happened. It was our defense, our top ten defense. As as Coach Mark Fox said, uh, he used the word collapse, and that's exactly what happened. A top ten defense. What we've been all year long, it failed us. Absolutely collapsed. Bryce Brown, who we held to three points, our leading scorer, held to three points in the first half. He drops twenty five in the second half. Just went off. Mustafa Heron, who was in, who got in early foul trouble and set for most of the first half, he goes off for fourteen. So those those top two leading scores for. Uh, for Auburn there, they combined for three points in the first half. Well, they combined for 39 in the second half. Um, as a team, Auburn offensively, they scored more than twice as many points in the second half as they did in the first. They scored 26 in the first half, scored 53 in the second half. I, I suck at math. You guys know that if you listen to the show, but I think that's correct. That's one more than, than twice as many points. Uh, so, Sure, a part of it was that they got the crowd going, and that was a factor. Winning on the road anywhere is incredibly difficult in college basketball. I think home home court advantage is a bigger deal in basketball than it is even in, in football. I mean, it's a big deal in football having a home field advantage, but in basketball, the way that the crowd's right up on you and it gets loud, it's kind of an enclosed environment. Uh, that volume level is just insane at times when it when reaches a fever pitch, and that was a factor. But while that was a factor, you also have to say, I mean, I, I hate saying this, I do, but the effort on our part defensively was just not there in the second half. They shot 
way too many uncontested shots. And you just simply cannot give shooters of that quality those kind of looks. I mean, there were times early in the second half where we were trying to contest, but as, as the ball kind of got rolling, it kind of got out of hand there. We were just, you could tell it. It seemed like we were just like, eh, well, we're not going to win this game. That's, we were kind of demoralized there, and we just weren't even contesting shots. And you got guys that can hit shots like that, that's that's a recipe for getting blown out. Uh, but as bad as the defense was in the second half, and it, guys, it was bad. It was bad. Our offensive efforts were even worse as we reverted back to really what's what's our norm after it was a stellar first half like I said it was a very stellar first half but we reverted back to what we've been offensively all year long and this is how bad it was kind of put this into perspective for you this is this is crazy uh we had four four freaking points in the second half at the under eight media timeout so more than 12 minutes into the second half more than 12 minutes in the second half, we had scored four points in that half. Imagine that was the first half. Imagine if that was the first half, and you're at the under eight media timeout, and a team has four points. You have four points, but that's what we did the second half. We missed 16 straight sh- shots to open the second half. We did not, in fact, hit our first field goal of the second half until the six. 38 mark. We went from 1 minute and 41 seconds in the first half to 6 minutes and 38, six, or 38 seconds left in the second half without hitting one shot from the field. One shot. One shot. Uh, and oh, and by the way, we, we went back to what we've been doing all year, turn the ball over, turn the ball over 12 times in the second half, which uh, which really was was part of the major problem of this, We because that led to clearly easy transition buckets for Auburn, easy threes for some really good three-point shooters, rim-rattling dunks that got the crowd into a frenzy to the point that we just simply could not recover, and we didn't. We clearly did not recover. And so all of that, all those numbers there, that's just, it's mind-numbing. I mean, it was, it was a redefinition of offensive ineptitude. And really, it, it would be, it would be entirely inexplicable if you had never watched this team play, if you turn on Georgia basketball and this is the first time you watched them all year, you watched that second half, you'd be like, how is this possible? How could a team be this bad offensively? But all of us who regularly watch and support this team, we really weren't all that surprised by what we saw offensively in that second half, were we? Were we? And and to me, that's probably the saddest part of this whole deal. Uh, was I mad? Yeah, of course, I was furious. But there was also, for me at least, there was also a sense of, huh, yeah, yeah, that's about right. It was this, uh, this kind of resignation that this is the team that I know and love. Yep, what we saw in the second half, at least offensively, what I saw defensively I hadn't seen all year, but what I saw offensively, yep, just kind of resigned to, yep, this is this is the team that I know on the offensive end of the court. So how, how did Auburn do this? Okay, so clearly we, we know that this happened. We know we melted down the second half, but how did this happen? How was Auburn able to reverse their fortunes on us to that degree? Uh, I think there's a couple factors at play here. I think uh, number one, getting Mustafa Heron back was big for them. Uh, you know, he obviously the second lean scores, a guy that can, that can put up some points in, in, in bunches there real quick, and he did. Got 14 points second half. Of course, Bryce Brown just went off. Uh, but we all and, and those guys were good. Brown and Heron were really good. But we also gave them some easy buckets with all the turnovers. Which, again, if you watch this all year, not all that surprising. It kind of just happens. It's what we do. Uh, we also, like I said a second ago, we weren't contesting shots with the same intensity in the second half. And you have guys that can shoot like they can. When you don't contest shots with a great deal of intensity, they're going to get going, especially when they're at home. And you add the crowd to the environment there with a Saturday night, so everybody's kind of raucous there in general. It's a little different than a, than a random Tuesday night. 
Uh, and they also, one thing that, that really I think was key in this game as well, uh, trying to talk about what happened to us offensively where we go from shooting 56% to being ridiculously terrible in the second half where we didn't have a clue what was going on. I think a big part of that was that Bruce Pearl and, and his Auburn t- uh, team out there, they threw different defensive looks at us. They for a, 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 I would say, I don't want to say the entire second half, but most of the second half, they went to this kind of full court zone pressure look, also went at times to a 1-3-1 half court look that we apparently have never seen before, judging uh, by our reaction to it at least. We, we had no idea what to do. We had no idea what to do, especially in the half court, the 1-3-1 zone. We had no idea what to do. But it was, uh, look, I don't like Bruce Pearl any more than the next guy. This guy is emphatically 1,000% a cheater. Uh, there's no question about that. Auburn hired him when he had still had a, he was still under a show call from what he did at Tennessee. Uh, their lead assistant coach uh, was arrested by the freaking FBI before the season for paying players, which is kind of flabbergasting. I think some of those guys are still on the team after after that, but it is what it is. So, guy is clearly 100% a cheater. But but saying that, he still has done a good job resurrecting programs. The Tennessee, Auburn now. And uh, I, I would say that the decision to go to the full-court zone pressure, the 1-3-1 half-court looks at times, and it was, a, it was a brilliant coaching move, strategically speaking, by Bruce Pearl. Because, I mean, one thing we all know this, if we watch this, if you watch this team, one thing we consistently fail to do offensively is reverse the basketball. There's no ball reversal. Uh, to kind of get the defense overshifted and out of position, which, of course, creates open driving lanes, creates open perimeter looks, and basically efficient shots that's what that's what ball reversal does it creates efficient shots but we just really just for whatever reason we just choose to not do that I don't know if that's a, a coaching choice or if his guys on the court just like you know we're we were coached this but we're just not going to do it I, I can't I have no explanation for it but it's just not a part of our offense we just really don't do it and I really think that's one of the reasons we struggle so much offensively but particularly against zone defenses uh is because we we, we just refuse to do what it takes to really attack zone defenses. And Pearl, to his credit, I, I hate giving him credit for anything, but to his credit here, he clearly recognized that, and he uh, he employed a defense in the second half that exp- that really is only exploited, or not only, but is primarily exploited by ball reversal and the ability to hit corner threes. That's what you do with a 1-3-1. One, one. You get there in the corner, you knock threes down, you reverse the ball, get them out of position, get them overextended a little bit. And uh, we just, and Pearl knew that we just don't do either of those well. We don't really reverse the ball very well or often. We just choose not to. We don't hit corner shots or really any shots from the perimeter all that consistently. He knew that and uh, so he went with the 1-3-1 half court look and kind of got us all out of sorts and we just couldn't recover. We had no answer for it. And to me, all of that combined, that is how you go from a 14-point halftime lead to ultimately losing the same exact game by 14 points. So, I mean, it's not much else to say. They're clearly a meltdown, uh, a costly one as well, because really, let's be honest, it's not that often that you are going to put yourself in that type of position to get a road win over a top 10 RPI team. You, you, we just are not going to have many chances where we're in a position where we play that well in the first half to put ourselves in a legitimate position to get out of a road game against a top 10 RPI opponent with a win. So you simply cannot allow those type of opportunities to slip away. You just can't. When you play that well for a half, you have to close the deal in the second half. I mean, to, for me at least, and I, I, mean, I could be wrong, but for me, considering that we were in the first four out coming into that game, at least according to Joe Lenardi, that win in itself, at least for now, and there's a lot left in this on this schedule. I mean, it was only game seven uh, in the conference slate here, but... That win in itself, for now, would have put us on the right side of the bubble and given us some serious momentum here. 
because uh, I said we were the, we're the first four, at least corner Joe Lenardi coming in. That would have been a massive win for our resume. And it really would have helped distinguish us from the crush of SEC teams right now that are currently sitting at either four and three or three and four. I think there's four teams along, or three other teams along with us that are sitting at three and four in conference right now. So there's a mash of teams, and they're all trying to find a way to distinguish themselves from one another. The SEC looks like it's going to get probably a record number of bids this season. I think that prior to this year, the record number was six. We're looking at at least seven probably as it currently sits, maybe even outside chance of getting eight teams from the league into the NCAA tournament. So all these teams sitting at three and four, they're all going to have legitimate shots. And we still have a shot, but we're all trying to find ways to distinguish ourselves. Getting a win at Auburn against a top 10 RPI team would have distinguished us, at least for now. Uh, but hey, we blew that opportunity. That's, that's, that's on us. That is 100% on us. But as bad as it was, and again, yes, clearly it was bad. It was, it was awful. It was so bad that I'm laughing. It's like one of those movies. Like it's a movie that's so bad you're laughing. It's, the game is kind of like that second half was just so bad that it's like, oh my god, yes, I'm so angry, but I'm, I'm just laughing about it because it's ridiculous. How could that happen? But it did anyway. So as bad as it was, I, I do think there were, and I know, I know no one wants to hear this right now, but I do think there were at least a few positive kind of silver lining type things to come out of this game. As hard as that may be to. See, uh, to, to see right now, as hard as that is to see at this moment, with the loss still being fresh and all, I get that. But I, I still, if you look at it closely, I think there's a few things that we could potentially take out of this game that could bode well for us moving forward. And I'm going to start with Jawan Parker. Um, I mentioned at the outside of the show, he had a huge first half. You know, 13 points in the first half. Second half didn't really follow up that well. It ended up with 16 points. I uh, had a career best four three-point bas- uh, buckets made, four of six from three. So for me, one thing to take away from this game, if I'm going to try to find something positive to take away, is that Joan Parker showed signs of becoming, or continued to show signs. It's not the first time, but con- he continued against Auburn to show signs of becoming potentially that legit second score to complement Yante Mayton. Uh, if you look at over the last three games, he's averaging 12 points a game over that span with newly extended minutes. Now, he's only averaging about eight, 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 eight to nine points a game this year. But again, over the last three, he's averaged 12 points a game, topping that with 16 points against Auburn. So if he can kind of continue that play, that could be really big for this team because we've all seen what's happening, what, how, do, how teams are defending us. When Yante touches the ball, they're collapsing on him almost immediately, daring him to... to to dish it back out to someone on the perimeter and daring them to hit shots because it's just not happening consistently. They might do it every now and then, but it's just not happening at any consistent level. Uh, and then they know that. They know Yante really is our one consistent scoring threat, and they defend us accordingly. So if we have another guy that can kind of step up and be a compliment to Yante and give us a little more scoring punch, that could be huge for this team moving forward because we have to have that guy. We have to have at least one more consistent scoring threat. I mean, last year, and I talked about this in the show last week, last year we were always trying to find that third scoring threat. Would Juwan Parker be that, that number three scorer behind Yante and JJ? Well, this year we're just trying to find that second scorer. And we, we, we have to. We have no chance to make the tournament. Zero chance if we do not find someone that can consistently be a second scoring threat to compliment Yante Maiden. Now, early this season, we thought it would be Turtle Jackson. He looked like he would he, he would he might be that guy. In fact, it, it looked like he was going to be that guy. You know, he played really well over, th- over Thanksgiving week there uh, in the tournament in Anaheim. Uh, played really well in the non-conference schedule for the most part. But as we've gone in the SEC play, he's fallen off the face of the earth. Turtle Jackson has fallen off the face of the earth. He is 12 of 53 from the field in SEC play. That's 22%. 22% from the field in SEC play, averaging five points a game in conference play. Five points a game. 22% in conference play. 
I, I don't know. This is not the same Terrell Jackson we saw early in the non-conference portion of the schedule. I, I can't explain what's happened. He was a guy that was shooting with confidence. He was our best three-point shooter, our most consistent three-point shooter. He was getting to the rim. You watch this against St. Mary's, against San Diego State, some of those early uh, season games. He was getting to the rim and finishing. Right now, he's not. He's lost all confidence. I think it's in his head. I don't know that for sure because I haven't talked to the guy, but it just seems like it's in his head at this point, and he's lost confidence. It, it's it's not pretty right now. So it, Right now, we just can't count on Turtle to be that second scorer. We've got to find somebody, and maybe Jawan Parker can be that guy. The next thing here that I want to mention that I think is something that we could potentially take a little bit away from is Rayshon Hammond's performance Saturday night uh, at Auburn. He had a really nice game. Uh, 10, he had played 22 minutes, had 10 points in those 22 minutes, six boards. Not huge numbers, but better than what he has been over the past five or six games. He still clearly has to be significantly more assertive on the offensive end. Because, in my opinion, he's the second most talented player on the roster in terms of pure talent ceiling. I think behind Yante Mayton, the next guy there is Rayshon Hammonds. And we need to run more offense for him. We need to do so in order to get him confidence, to get him into a rhythm. I firmly believe that we will not make the tournament unless Rayshon Hammonds becomes a consistent 10 to 14 points a night type guy because we simply do not have the scores elsewhere. Now, if Terrell Jackson was doing what he was doing early in the season, we'd be okay. If Jordan Harris had, had come on and re- he showed signs at, at points late in the, in the non-conference, early in the conference schedule, but if he had kind of come on in the second year and, and been that guy, we wouldn't need Rayshon as much. If Tyree Crump got more playing time and was doing things better than Demons Vin to earn more playing time, well, we wouldn't need Rayshon Hammonds. But the bottom line is, those guys aren't scoring. They're not scoring consistently. Uh, so we, if, if we're going to have a chance to make the tournament, Rayshon Hammonds has got to step up and be a 10 to 14 points a night type guy. I don't know if that's going to happen, but he showed signs, again, of potentially being that guy on Saturday against Auburn. He, he showed that in a couple of games early in the SEC slate. He had 12 points at Kentucky, and that was a game that we had a legitimate chance to win. Like We were we were up late in the game. You guys saw that game. We were up late. We, we faded on the stretch, but he played well, and we need him. If we're going to have a chance to beat teams like Kentucky, Rayshon's going to have to score 12, 13 points like he did. Against Bam, when we blew them out, he had 13 points. He had 10 last night. So there's moments in time where he has had solid games. He's been that 10 to 14 point score that I think we're going to need on a consistently on a consistent night in night out basis. But he's also had games where he scored literally zero points. He had zero points. The donut at Ole Miss or against Ole Miss at home. He had zero points in the in 36 minutes. He had zero points in 36 minutes of court time against South Carolina, the home losses to South Carolina. Had zero points on the road at LSU uh last week. Had seven against Missouri. And in most of those games, we, we won two of those games. Ole Miss and LSU, we had zero points. But we got away with that because those teams aren't great. Ole Miss is not a great basketball team. LSU is not a great basketball team. So we were able, able to get away from it. But we're playing teams like uh, Florida down the down the road here very shortly. Arkansas this week. We're playing Auburn at home again. We're, when we play Tennessee, we've got them twice on the schedule here. We're not going to be able to, we're not going to win those games if Rayshon Hammonds has a donut. If he's, if he's scoring zero points, he's got to bring it. We've got to find ways to, to run some offense for him. Like if you look at like in the Georgia Tech game, going back uh, to, to late December there, we ran we ran a couple of loops for him. He was knocking threes down, three down, three pointers down, I guess, when we gave him opportunities to do that uh, against Bama, same thing. But we just, for whatever reason, we're not consistently running offense for him. And I know, obviously, we have a guy like Yante. You want everything to run through him. That makes a lot of sense, but... 
there's still a place to try to get a guy like Rayshon Hammond some looks that are designed for him to get into a rhythm, to get some comments, and kind of get his game going and kind of figure out where he fits with this team. Because I just don't think we're going to make the tournament unless he really turns it on here. Uh, and I think also one thing to look at here, uh, as and this has become a staple of Mark Fox teams, and this is not something that I think was silver lining. This is just, again, just oh, whatever. But this has kind of become a staple of Mark Fox teams. We are midway through the SEC slate are just about midway through the SEC slate. And we are still tinkering with our lineup and rotations. We have still not decided and kind of set on one lineup and one rotation or one uh, or a series of rotations here. For me, I know we've been tinkering with it a lot, and that, that frustrates me. So here I am saying we should tinker with it again. But I think we should tinker with it one more time based on how Parker has played over his past three games here, how he's playing of late, start him at the two guard. Right now, he's starting at the three. Over the last two games, he's starting. We basically, we've benched Hammonds. Uh, he's still he's coming off the bench now. We've inserted Joan Parker at, at the small fourth, the three position. And then we've gone with Turtle and uh, Hightower, Tishon Hightower, as our two guards. Hightower, I, I really like what I see from him uh, in terms of what he's going to be in the future. He's got great length. He can get to the rim with, with relative ease. But right now, he's not giving us much offensively. He's just, he just can't shoot the ball. He's, he's a liability through, at, the, at the free throw line. We almost lost that game at LSU because Hightower just simply could not make free throws down the stretch. It was, I mean, he missed the, the intentional foul free throws there, missed two of them. Uh, so I don't think he gives us a ton right now. So for me, I would insert because Parker, I mean, he he's he's a combo guard, small forward. I think he can play. Uh, I think he can play the two, can play the three. He's probably a tweener. You know, he's probably a, not a classic three, not a classic shooting guard. But based on how he's playing right now, I would put him at the two. Right? We need some. We need some better guard play right now. The other guys just aren't getting it done. And then I would insert Hammonds back into the lineup, the starting lineup at the three position. Uh, he was hurting us. Okay, Hammonds, you know. Past four or five games, he was hurting us. He just wasn't scoring. But we saw those flashes again on Saturday, and I still say it is more likely that uh, Heyman starts to find an offensive game than Harris or Hightower or, or Willridge, who was starting the two the two guard spot for a couple of games there. Uh, and, and I know that no one wants to hear this right now, but all is not necessarily lost this season. Now, I, I, this goes against how I've been feeling at times for the season, but if you really look at it and try to just look at the numbers or the metrics, this season is not yet lost. I am angry, just like all of you. I think Saturday was unacceptable. And really, as I tweet out on Saturday, I think we all deserve better than what we've gotten from this basketball program over the past three years. I really do. But the fact remains, we still have a top 50 RPI and are still in a solid position at least from a metric standpoint, to sneak into this tournament. Now, obviously, for that to happen, we're going to have to find a way to beat some of the better teams on our schedule and take care of business against the likes of Vandy, Mississippi State, LSU, those teams that we should beat. Now, on the one hand, you can look at the remaining schedule and say, yikes, okay, we've got two games left against Florida. we got two games left against Tennessee. We've got to play Auburn at home. We've got a really talented A&M team late in this, uh, on the conference schedule at home. I know they haven't been great in conference play at this point, but they are still a really talented team that had a great non-conference slate. So you can look at the schedule and say, yikes, looking at, that, at, 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 at what we have left. But you can also look at it as a schedule with plenty of opportunities for us to get resume building wins, which it just wasn't always the case with the SEC in recent years. If you think about the SEC the past couple years, and really, I don't know, maybe even longer than that, the lack of good teams and the relatively scarce opportunities for quality wins in conference play, that was, I mean, 
that was damaging to our tournament chances. Yeah, you can rack up a bunch of wins in conference play, but those wins don't mean anything because the teams are trash. So now that we have more balance in the league, we have a bunch of good teams that are kind of just smashing there together. That gives us opportunities to get those good resume building wins. Yeah, it's going to be really tough to beat Florida. Yeah, it's going to be really tough to beat Tennessee. Yeah, it's going to be tough to beat Auburn. Home. Those are all three really good teams. It's going to be tough to even beat A&M. But even though it's going to be tough to get those wins, if we somehow find a way to do it, to steal a win or two, especially one on the road, which is, again, why it would have been great to get that one at Auburn, those could be huge resume-building wins that could help distinguish us from the rest of the SEC teams that are kind of in that same spot where we are. they're trying to build up their resume enough to kind of sneak into the back end of the tournament. Now, saying that, the reality is I have not really seen anything outside of maybe that one half of play against Auburn to suggest that we are going to go out and beat Florida or beat Tennessee or, or, or beat Auburn at home and kind of get that quality win, that those quality wins. One of those, one winning against the team is not going to be enough. We need to get quality wins, plural. And I, I just don't know if I've seen anything to this point, again, outside of that one half against Auburn, which I thought was probably the ceiling for us, to really suggest that we're going to be playing consistently well enough to get some of those wins. But I'll also say that anything can happen on any given day. And if we can find a way to tap into what we did in that first half against Auburn, on a more consistent basis, if Parker can become a consistent second scoring threat, if we were if we protect the ball better and stop turning it over at astronomical rates, if Hammonds continues to find his game and we get him some good looks, I think we have at least a chance. I don't think it's a great chance, but it's a chance. I would probably put it, you know, Curtis said 0% chance. I don't agree with that. We have better than a 0% chance. But, I mean, maybe a 20 25% chance, which is still a chance. Not a great chance. Not a likelihood yet. But a, but a chance, and I guess that's where we are right now. We have to take where we are. Because um, remember, like as bad as our offense has been, we have been a top 10 defensive team all year, and that will give us at least a fighting chance just about every night, unless we play like we did in the second half against Auburn. But that, that, that really was the anomaly, talking about how we played defensively all year long. We just simply have to find a way to score and, and to be more efficient offensively. Now, if you've observed Mark Foss's offensive scheme or uh, lack thereof, maybe over the past nine years, you know that is easier said than done. You know, finding a way to score and, and being a more efficient offensive basketball team. But all I'm saying is that we are at least in position to have a chance to make the tournament. It is not 100% a lost cause. I know we feel like it is right now after what we saw against Auburn, and we might not have much of a reason to believe it's it's not a lost cause, but it's not. If you look at the metrics. We're still in position to maybe have a chance if we can find a way to, to get a win or two against some of these better teams in the SEC that we're going to play here in the coming weeks. Now, if we are going to actually give ourselves a realistic shot to make the tournament, if that's going to be something that actually ends up happening, it all starts on Tuesday night as Arkansas comes calling to the Stag, 6.30. A little bit of an, I know it's an early, it's hard for a lot of people to get to the game, especially in the, the, the Atlanta area, I know. But guys, come on, just try your best. If you can get up, if you can get out there and just get off of work a little bit early, I know it's tough. But just do our best. We've got to have that place rocking. Uh, Arkansas is one of those four teams currently sitting at three and four in conference, along with us. And they, all, but they also have a top thirty RPI. We're a top fifty RPI right now, according to ESPN's RPI. We're sitting at number forty nine. But Arkansas is a top thirty RPI. They had a better non conference season than we did. So this would be a really nice win on the resume. Uh, Arkansas, they, they are really a very very guard dependent, guard heavy. They got guys like Jalen Barford had a huge game against Ole Miss. Uh, over the weekend, Daryl Macon, small guy, but a good guard, good shooter, and Anton Beard. Those, all three of those guys are senior guards who can light it up. They're a lot like Auburn in that in that regard. If if those three guys get hot and they start lighting it up, 
watch out. Now, if if they're not, if they're if they're because they have a tendency to kind of just jack up some shots and don't always take the best shots. Um, so if if that's happening and they're not and those shots those shots aren't falling, then 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 I, I like our chances. But if those guys get hot like Auburn in the second half and they start lighting it up, mm, man, they're gonna they might they have a chance to run us out of the building because we just simply simply cannot match that kind of offense. Uh, I will say though they don't have much size, uh, which is something that we should be able to exploit offensively. Uh, but for that to happen, we're gonna have to actually execute some entry passes. Ooh, what a novel idea that would be. We're actually gonna have to make a concerted effort to get the ball into the post and work from the inside out, which you would think that we 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 do all year long, but we just don't always do that for whatever reason. Again, it goes back to just like what are we doing offensively? I don't know. Uh, but if we do find a way to do that, if we execute the entry passes, we make a concerted effort to get the ball in the post and uh, finish when we get the ball down low. If we do that, this could potentially be a matchup that favors us. But bottom line, this is a game that we really need. I, I don't. I hesitate to call it a must win. I don't know. There's still a lot of basketball left to play. There's a lot of opportunities against the likes of Florida, Auburn, Tennessee. But this would be a really good resume, a really good place to start for us to try to get ourselves on the right side of the bubble here through the rest of the conference slate. All right, guys, that is it for us here on the show. But it wasn't too painful just listening to me kind of go on here. I always feel weird going solo. Uh, it's just kind of weird talking to yourself, it seems like. But it is what it is. Curtis had a date, you know, and I guess, you know, the, the ladies are always going to win out. I guess that's just the moral of the story here. But uh, we, I do appreciate you guys sticking with me and listening to the show here today. Really definitely do. I appreciate you guys listening to us at all, period. We uh, cannot thank you guys enough for that. We would not have the show if it was not for all of you. Uh, but definitely uh, check us out on Twitter if you have not already. Rate and review the show if you get a chance. That would be awesome. Curtis will be back later this week. We'll also have some football talk, guys. We said uh, last week kind of laid out the early part of the offseason, what we're going to be doing here. Every Friday we're going to have our – Football Friday, kind of filling up your football fix. So make sure to check back with us. We'll be recapping on Wednesday. Uh, we will have up a show recapping Tuesday's game against Arkansas. And then on Friday, of course, we will have our Football Friday show for you guys. So make sure to check that out. Uh, normally, this is where I would say for Curtis, I'm Tyler, but I am just Tyler. Curtis is abandoning us today. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>